0: a day when we get to see Jesus. All right. And uh, tell you what, he could come tomorrow. He could come tonight. He could come next week. We don't know when he's coming, but we do know this. He did promise he is coming back and he will come back. And uh, And I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready to meet him. And because uh, you don't know when he's going to come back, he uh, he didn't tell us. All right. So uh, praise the lord all right well we're looking forward to uh brother sam davison bringing the message tonight and uh again if you've not been here and if you've not uh heard the services i'll just let me say this you have missed a blessing all right you can go back and listen to the audio and i would encourage you to do that it's on our web page you can find it and 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 i encourage you to do that but let me tell you something it's just not the same as being here it's kind of like eating leftovers. I mean, they're good. The fir- they're, they're, they're really good the first time around. And you're sitting in the family, but then when you get them all out and you're all by yourself and you're warming it up, it's, it's okay. But, uh, but I tell you what, it's just enjoying that meal as a family all together is really good. And so, uh, so you don't want to miss uh, services. Uh, you don't want to hear it secondhand. Uh, you want to be here and enjoy every, every moment of the service. Come ahead, preacher, and uh, preach with the Lord's laid on your heart. Thank you, Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Brother Bob, for the, singing that uh, great song. Out of that era came a lot of really, really great songs that <clears throat> ought to still be sung. And uh, I sure did enjoy that. Appreciate it very much. It isn't quite the same as having those two beautiful ladies beside him singing, but still, it was very good. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody shocked by that, Amen back there? Uh, no <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. That song is very appropriate uh, for the little book of Jude. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You know how he said it's going to start out kind of drab, and then that verse about the crucifixion, uh, that doesn't go in. was that a minor key, or it's low, it's low and slow? But uh, there are some maybe that would sing that in a minor, like uh, Up From the Grave He Arose, you know, how I've heard the verses of that song sung in the minor. And then when you get to the chorus, Up From the Grave He Arose, and it's in the major, and boy, it's just an incredibly different sound, wonderful sound. The Little Book of Jude is not much different than that, if we put it to music. Because much of the Little Book of Jude would be written in a either low, slow, or a minor key and would not, it wouldn't sound very pleasant. But oh my, at the end of it, it breaks into quite a song and a different melody, a different tone entirely. Let me explain that as we look in the book of Jude together. We're going to start in verse number one. The book of Jude. Now, before I do this, let me... Uh, just say this also, and I've, I'm I'm going to try to really watch the clock tonight and be done because of the kids' classes and such as that. The pastor told me before the church service, and I told him, well, thank you for that, but boy, I have a bad memory, so I don't know how this is going to work out. <laughs> but anyway, it, it, I, I heard a uh, song that was written uh, by Fanny Crosby that was never put in songbooks or anything. There was a album put out about, uh, I think it was in 2018, and it was... Um, newly discovered songs and hymns by Fanny Crosby, and somebody got a hold of them, and then they uh, worked on some of the songs that weren't completely finished and finished them, and then they gave them to various groups around and made a recording. Uh, I, I love the recording. I don't appreciate all all the accompaniment that's on some of them, uh, but nor do I necessarily appreciate some of the artists or singers that they had do it, but. The songs are really, really worth hearing, in my opinion. And one of the songs uh, that Fanny Crosby wrote uh, said this. It's a newly discovered song. And she said, uh, one of the verses goes like this. Now I rest in His devotion as He holds me like a child. And I feel His gentle comfort, though the world is growing wild." Now, she was born in 1821 and, uh, and died uh, much, let's say, I think she was nearly 90 years of age, I believe. And it's very possible, I, I can't prove this, but I'm thinking about her line there that said, though the world is growing wild. And Fanny Crosby thought in her times as a songwriter, she wrote hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of songs And so this could have very well been written during the time of the Civil War. That would have been probably in about the prime of her songwriting life. And uh, if we'd have lived in her time and uh, understood what we could understand about the Civil War taking place and Americans uh, killing Americans in a war, um, my soul, I imagine we would have thought the world is growing wild it's getting out of hand. I think also that if Fanny Crosby had lived with us the past 40, 50, 60 years, she might say, I'll, I'm going to write that again. I, I feel his gentle comfort, though the world is growing wild. But that wasn't new to Fanny Crosby's day. And even though you hear people say all the time, we are living in unprecedented times. It may be unprecedented in our time but it's certainly not unprecedented in time. And if you'd lived in the book of Jude, I promise you, as a believer, as a Christian, if you'd lived in the time that Jude wrote this book, you would not say, and now you are here today, you would not say, I'd rather live in Jude's day than this day. I guarantee you you wouldn't. You wouldn't want to trade that time for this time. In other words, as difficult as things might be or become, I guarantee you, you would not have wanted to been under the authority of the Roman Empire, and especially ruled by a nutcase like Nero. Right. Right. And to be a Christian and to serve the Lord, they paid a price. And especially Jewish believers who were, number one, hated because they were Jews, number two, magnify that because they were Christians. And uh, you and I, uh, oh, I'll speak for myself. I don't even know what persecution is. Oh, I've had some things said and stuff like that. But nobody's ever threatened to take my life or destroy my family or my freedoms if I didn't hush about this Jesus, the Son of God. Nobody's ever threatened me with that yet. But they haven't. But they did. They understood that. Read the book of 2 Peter. It's a, it's a companion. First and 2 Peter. 2 Peter is a companion uh, passage for the book of Jude. And so they were living in a very, very difficult time. Look, look in verse number one. See how this begins. And I think we can kind of get the idea. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved or beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, he was going to write a letter about the common salvation, the salvation that is common to all of us that have salvation. I didn't quite get saved under the same circumstances the Apostle Paul did, but Paul and I had to get saved the same way, dealing with our sin before God and receiving Jesus to be our Savior, that's how you got saved. And so I heard of one of our staff members one time after youth camp, he said, I got Bobby here, and he got saved at camp. Said, Somebody say amen. Everybody said amen. He said, here's Jimmy here. He really got saved. Well, there's no really degrees of being saved. Either you're saved or not. And if you are saved, then it is the common salvation. There's only one way to be saved. Okay, so he wanted to write a letter about that the common salvation, but he couldn't. Because in verse 3 it says, it was needful, instead it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And then here's what happens. In verse number 4 he tells why he changed the tone of the letter Uh, In verse number 3 he said he had to change the tone of the letter. Number 4 we begin to see why. For there are certain men crept in unawares. And then from verse 14 through verse 19. Can I have your attention up here? Here's what Jude does. He pulls the cover off the false teachers and the false preachers and the false teaching of his day. And exposes it for the ungodliness that it really is. That's what he's doing. So we have to understand that in Jude's day, the truth of the gospel was under attack. It was under attack. And it was under attack by certain men that are crept in unawares who were ungodly men. So in verse number 4 down through verse number 19, Jude is not trying to be politically correct. As far as I know, no real man of God ever really does. Don't get too excited to hear anything, but I'm just saying, as far as I know, uh, men of God are a little insensitive to what might be the political correctness of our culture and society because the Word of God is not to be preached with the hypersensitivities of of a hypersensitive culture and society. We are supposed to say, thus saith the Lord. And without apology, it's not our job to put sugar on everything and make it palatable out here to a hypersensitive society. That is not our responsibility. That was not the responsibility of the prophets, and that's not responsibility of the men of God today. And Jude, oh boy, he didn't spare anything. Look down in verse number 14. Jude says, uh, and Enoch also. Good night, aren't we going way back? Well, yeah, he was the seventh from Adam. You know what Enoch had to deal with? Who was a prophet himself? You know what he had to deal with? False teaching, lies, things said about God and the ways of God that were not so, contradicted uh, the revelation that they did have. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. He prophesied of these, saying, "Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints." What about that? he was talking about the coming of the Lord seven generations from Adam. And here's when he he comes, here's what he's going to do. Execute judgment upon all and convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I take it that Jude was kind of uh, against ungodliness. Well, it looks right there, doesn't it? And he calls them murmurers. Look down at verse number 19. He says, these be they who separate themselves, a sensual, having not the spirit. Somebody today would say, he is so judgmental, you shouldn't judge other people. Well, he was measuring or judging or discerning, comparing what was being said to what God said. And so he exposes their heresy and he calls them what they are. They are essential. They don't have the whole, this is not the Holy Spirit. And Jude exposes that. Wow. So if, if Jude came back to the 21st century, I'm going to suggest this. If he came back to the 21st century, if we could bring him back here and say to Jude, Jude, you wrote a letter for your day for the benefit and the encouragement of the saints and for the benefit of the churches, why don't you take a, uh, get the pulse beat of uh, church life and Christianity in our culture, in our world. Jude, why don't you visit around the United States, go to the churches, observe the culture, see what is taking place, write us a letter, would you? I think at the end of his effort, he would just sign off on this and say, here, you need to see, all you got to do is read this which we shouldn't be surprised by that because the holy spirit of god inspired these words and uh, uh preacher and I and some of the others at uh, lunch yesterday up in cleveland at the christian school after we preached chapel why we were talking about this that i don't have to preach to try to make the bible relevant god took care of that this book is timeless and it is re- relevant and we don't need a bunch of preachers up here trying to make sure, is this okay? Is everybody okay with this? And on and on and on in soft step around everything. It's already made relevant by God. What we're supposed to do is preach it. And that's what Jude is doing. Okay, so all of, uh, I think many churches would get mad if, you just, if Jude just came back and read his own letter uh, down through verse 19. They'd probably be upset about it. But look in verse number 20. Everything changes from that negative tone to verse 20. But ye, beloved, in contrast to the ungodly, is everybody with me here? In contrast to the ungodly, the heretics, those who spread false teaching, mercy, surely there's never been a generation that lived that had false teaching more accessible to them than this generation. By reason of the media, the technology, and all of that, probably no generation has ever been, had such exposure to so much heresy and false teaching as there is today. Okay, but verse 20, I don't have time for that. We are trying to hurry, remember? Look in verse 20. But ye, beloved, but, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. And now the doxology. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever, and all of God's people ought to say, Amen. Amen. Wow. That is quite a closing to that, this very small letter. Thank you Lord for this day. Bless our time here together in Jesus' name, Amen. I want you to look in verse number 21 there is a line in the last half of verse 21 that I'm going I'm to call it the hub of a wheel, the hub. It's at the very center of what Jude is saying in this letter, and particularly in the verses that we read closing out this letter. It's a hub. Now, you know, you don't get very far if all you have is a hub. You've got to have a wheel, And if you're going to go from the hub to the wheel, I'm thinking back about the old wagon wheel days, then you got to put the spokes on and go from the hub out here to the rim or you don't have a wheel. And so what we have here in this statement is what I'm going to call the hub or the center or the main idea of what Jude is writing this letter for. Exposing the false teachers, yes, but exhorting the saints, And they are definitely troublesome times. Uh, There is definitely, it could have definitely been said that their world, quoting Fanny Crosby, was growing wild. It could definitely be said about that. It, it, It was definitely so that these false teachers ought to be exposed. But what in the midst of confusing and complex and in Jude's day even dangerous times what what do the children of God really need to hear? Let's keep it simple, shall we? Beloved, keep yourselves in love with God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, I had a guy try to convince me one time at the door that uh, this verse was saying that uh, we receive the love of God. You know, he's talking about the love triangle Sunday morning. For those of you who are here, we receive the love of God and then we love God in return. And then we love on this level as well. And I had this guy tried to tell me that what Jude was saying is we receive the love of God for salvation, but then it's up to us to keep ourselves saved and to keep uh, God loving us. He tried to convince me of that. He didn't believe in the security of the believer, eternal security, or the preservation of the saints. That's kind of a weird verse to quote when Jude started off by saying, we are preserved in Jesus Christ. That's kind of a weird passage to use. When Jude closes the letter by saying, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his glory with exceeding joy. Now, so Jude starts out the letter and says that we are preserved in Jesus Christ, and he ends the letter not saying that we are to keep ourselves from uh, falling, but unto him that is able to keep you from falling. So we are not only saved by the power of God, quoting the book of 1 Peter, we're not only saved by the power of God, we are kept by the power of God. See So what Jude is saying is not, it's up to you now to do right so that God will keep loving you. Stop, stop. You didn't do anything for God to love you to begin with. Neither did I, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we did absolutely zero for God to love us, and we can do absolutely zero for God to keep loving us. What must your children do for you to love them? What must your grandchildren? We'll take it to another whole level. What must your grandchildren do uh, to have you love them? Nothing. We've had children that have struggled. We've got grandchildren that have struggled. It has had nothing to do with our affection for them and our love for them. What kind of a father do people think he is? And so we can't do anything to keep God loving us. But let me just say this, it is not only possible that we can keep ourselves in a state to love God, it is our personal responsibility to do just that. I quoted on Sunday morning where we are talking about receiving the love of God and then loving God in return. What, is, what did Jesus say is the first and great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Heart, soul, and mind. That's that's exactly what he said. Now, I, I'm going to venture to say that many of you would be no different than my life in this way. That if we had one of those... Uh, You know, if I use technology and all of that, I I might could drop here a chart and I would say, okay, we're going to chart for my life and then we're going to let you do the same. We're going to chart for my life from the time I got saved and I was six years old to this very time, 70 years later. So here I am. And what we're going to do is this chart is going to show The times that I was really in love with God, you know, that's the peak here. And then I got distracted and went this way. And then, But a revival came and I got right with God and and I'm in love with God again. But then I got interested in what my friends thought. And so it began to decline. But just at the right time I went to youth camp and now I'm back in love with God again. But then I got back in school and the peer pressure got me. It wasn't really my fault. But anyway, the peer pressure got me, and, and my m- love went down. And But we had a revival in the fall, and I got back in love. Uh, now, that's what my chart would have looked like. And you're saying, what are you doing standing up there preaching then? And your chart would look like? Really? Well, God bless you. Yeah, God bless you for that. But we have our ups and downs, don't we? You know what Jude said? Doesn't have to be that way. Beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves there. How do you do that? Well, that's why we're not stopping. Uh, He says right here, that's why I call this the hub. The central idea is while the heresy is flying all around, while some are being deceived, while some are turning from the side and saying, I'm so confused, I'm not even going to go to church anymore. Or some have been disappointed by this one or that one that's fallen by the wayside to heresy. Jude says, but you beloved, here's the thing you're supposed to do. You're supposed to keep yourselves in love with God. You can do nothing to make him love you, but it is your choice and your decision and your responsibility to keep yourselves in love with God. Well, that's great. That's fine. How do you do that? We'll look in verse number 20. First words of verse 20. But ye beloved, here's the first spoke, attached to the hub, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Now, I'm going to venture to say, once again, I'm kind of speculating here, but I'm going to venture to say that almost every preacher has heard what I've heard a few times along the way. And uh, less in the later days of being a pastor, but often in the earlier days of being a pastor and through the midtime, I would hear from once in a while, uh, Brother Sam, can we talk to you after church? My wife and I need to sit down and talk to you. Can we, can we do that? sure. Sure. Can we do that Sunday night because we're very busy during the week? Well, I'm not, so sure, Sunday night. I just started at 4.30 this morning, so Sunday night would be a great time to sit down. I'm just unloading there just a little bit. But anyway, yeah, sure, yeah, we can meet. So we go to the office, sit down, sit down, have a seat. Well, Brother Sam, we need to talk to you. Yeah, that's what you told me, huh? Okay, well, see, we, uh, <clears throat> the wife and I, we... <clears throat> we, we love you, Brother Sam. We love you. We love Miss Sandy. Oh, what a pastor's wife. We, we, love, we love our church. We love our church. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. I do too. Well, uh, but Brother Sam, we, <sighs> tell him, honey, and she will. I guarantee you. If you think I'm making that up, I am not making that up. More than once. Well, Brother Sam, we're leaving the church. Oh, well, that's too bad. And most of the time I meant it. Almost every time I meant it. Not every time, but most of the time. (laughs) No, I shouldn't do that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, so, oh, you're going to, well, you know, we, we are just not being fed. We're just not being fed. And I remember thinking, oh, to myself, you know, I I work, I do my best, I'm trying to, it's my responsibility. I heard a guy say one time, held up the Bible. He was teaching preachers and he held up his Bible and he said it must be a great crime to make such a book boring. And so I I remember hearing that thinking, well, people may be bored, but I'm not going to bore them with this because there's nothing boring about this book. There are people that are boring no matter what they're doing But I'm just saying this book is not boring and I'm not going to preach it to make it boring. That became a goal, an ambition, a desire, a passion to preach it that way. And so I'm doing my very best to explain and rightly divide the Word of Truth and people aren't growing, they're going to leave and go join another church. Well, that happened a few times. And then I, I got old enough and wise enough to I suppose look up and say, now wait a minute, there are families all over the place here that are at a different spiritual level than these people that are still growing and they're not growing so I learned to ask my own question if we're just we're, we're not being fed we're not we're just not growing we're not being fed oh well you know I've been in a situation to listen to some of my preaching so I can understand how that could happen but um let me ask you this question. Between Sunday and Wednesday, how much time do you spend in the Word to build up your, let's put it, let's borrow Jude's words, to build up yourself in the most holy faith? How much time do you spend in the Word between Sunday and Wednesday? How much time between Wednesday and Sunday uh, do you spend in the Word so you can build up yourself on the most holy faith? That is what he said, beloved. Building up yourselves on the most holy faith. Well, how do you do that? Well, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. You do it by exercise. I talked last night about my physical condition. And even at this age of my life, I suppose it could uh, change at least some if I would take it upon myself. Nobody can do this for me. If I'd take it upon myself to pump a little iron and do some things to tighten up these muscles and make my legs not so skinny and put a little muscle tissue in there and such as that. Uh, But who can do that? Who can do that? Me, Well, when Jude said, inspired by the Holy Ghost, you, beloved, building up yourselves in the most holy faith, how are you going to do that without spiritual exercise? And we're admonished by the Word of God, are we not? I mean, just go read the whole book of Psalms and read the 119th Psalm if you've got any questions about it. And uh, what we're actually supposed to be doing is taking in the Word of God, and as we take in the Word of God, we are exercising ourselves in the most holy faith. And I ask the question, how much time are you spending in the Word to exercise in the Word of God between Sunday and Wednesday? Wednesday and Sunday, how much time? If you think they stumble and stutter around when they're trying to tell me they're not going to come to church there anymore, you ought to hear them when I ask how much time they're spending in the Word. Well, i mean why right so wall Wow. We're busy. We are busy, busy. Our kids have dance lessons. Our kids have uh, domino lessons. Our kids have jacks lessons. And our kids have soccer practice. And they have basketball. (laughs) And my husband's job, he's not like a preacher. He actually has responsibilities. And, you know, now they don't say that, but that's what I read into it, you know. (laughs) Busy, busy. Yeah. Okay, so then you're not being fed and you're not growing. So, let me put it another way. What are you doing to nurture that appetite if you're not being fed? I don't care who's preaching. I don't care if it's Moses and the Apostle Paul and John the Baptist. If people come to the house of God and they don't have any appetite for the Word of God, what do they think they're going to get? I said, it doesn't matter if it's John the Baptist or the Apostle Paul. Some would probably listen to the Apostle Paul and say, you know, he's not near the speaker. I thought he would be. No, that's what he said about himself. Yeah. So, so what are we supposed to do? Well, uh, to keep ourselves in love with God, I'm going to submit to you that it's impossible for our love for God to be where it is supposed to be if our love for his word is not where it's supposed to be. I mean, we, are, we, we must exercise ourselves in the Word of God. So this is a sermon, again, about reading your Bible. I remember going to church and all my life and growing up as a kid, and I actually probably came to the conclusion when I was about 17, 18 years old, I probably came to the conclusion about then that when preachers don't know what else to preach, you can always preach on read your Bible and pray. That'll always work, you know, and you can preach about that. Come to find out it's not just something you pull out in an emergency. Uh, Being a student of the Word of God, having your face in the Word of God, building up your most holy faith by knowing the Word of God, establishing yourself by the Word of God, excuse me, enhancing your appetite by being in the Word of God. It is fundamental to keeping yourself in love with God. And since you brought up Read your Bible and pray. Well, let's go to the next spoke. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, what's next, please? Praying in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Jude must run out of anything to write about. He's talking about being in the Word and being a person of prayer. Yeah, well, praying in the Holy Ghost. So He says, I don't know what praying in the Holy Ghost means. It sounds like, sounds, sounds what, Pentecostal? Something like that. Look, just as some people have said, praying in the Holy Ghost means that you keep seeking and trying and working and having others coach you and tell you how to do it and everything until finally one day it happens that <laughs> something comes over you and stuff is coming out of your mouth. You don't know what you're saying neither is anybody else. And this is the filling of the Holy Ghost and you're speaking in tongues. This is how we know that it's never been praying in the Holy Ghost. I said that it's not remotely related to praying in the Holy Ghost. In fact, it's not remotely related to anything you read in the Bible. Just to be real frank about it. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Well, what then is praying in the Holy Ghost? Uh, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 8, let me, let me think here just a second. In the book of Romans chapter number 8 where he is talking about that we are the children of God. And he said, as the children of God, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Did you ever pray about something? I got a whole prayer list, spent time in prayer today. and praying over the list, and I'm making supplication and petition, but I'm not in the business of telling God what He ought to do in these circumstances and with these kind of situations. I mean, I'm praying for our country and for the leaders of our country. But I don't know what God needs to do in order for things to be different and right. He said judgment must begin at the house of God. and I think maybe we put too much emphasis on the condition of the White House and the Supreme Court and the houses of Congress and not enough attention on where is our church spiritually because judgment begins right there. Jesus comes back, he's not, if Jesus came back to deal with, let's say, imagine if Jesus came back to deal with the United States of America, where do you think he'd start? The White House? I don't think so. Where do you think he would start? The house of God. His household. Where is his household found? His household is supposed to be found in what are called his churches his churches. where I'm a part of the big universal invisible church. Well, if there was such a thing, then maybe you would be. But since there is no such thing, the only way that you can talk about church in this New Testament time, this New Testament age has to do with both local and visible assemblies of God's people. See, just because Schofield said the universal church and the local church doesn't mean that's accurate. With all due respect to C.I. Schofield, that is very inaccurate. There's no universal, invisible church. It's a contradiction of terms. A called out assembly. Okay, so we have a universal, invisible assembly? Now, you might refer to it as the kingdom of God, all believers everywhere. You might even refer to it as the family of God because everybody who is truly saved, no matter where they are found, everybody that has truly trusted Jesus to be their Savior, God is their father. They are His child. That makes you a part of the family of God. But a New Testament church is not the same as the kingdom, and a New Testament church is not the same as the entire family of God. Everybody in an authentic New Testament church, I said, listen to this, everybody in an authentic New Testament church is a part of the kingdom, and a part of the family of God, but not everybody that is in the family of God, and then the big kingdom of God is necessarily in his church. Why am I getting up? I don't have time to go into all this, but, but we, we need to think right about this. Okay, so he's talking about praying. We don't know what to pray for as we ought I mean, I I remember the time I came to the place where God put it upon my heart to say uh, that I should start thinking about who's going to succeed me at Southwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. We had the Heartland Baptist Bible College. I was serving as pastor of the church, president of the school, and, you know, traveling and all this kind of stuff and had a lot of responsibility. And and I I think it was from the Lord He just began to put it on my heart. that You know, I, I have no guarantee that I'm going to live another day. Or another 10 years, I'm not going to set the date. This is when I'm stepping aside. This would be a great time for me to retire. I I wasn't even thinking about retirement. I, I thought when all this thought started coming to me, I thought I'd probably pastor until I was 70 years old. And mercifully for the church, I didn't. I stopped at 65 or right there about. And so what, what, what am I saying? Well, I'm saying, Lord, I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to pray for as I ought. You know what praying in the Spirit means? I don't know who would be the right person. You know what praying in the Spirit means? Not coming to God and telling Him how He ought to do things. Coming to God and acknowledging our own helplessness our own utter dependence upon Him, and acknowledging that he that searcheth the heart, that's the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Father, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So praying in the Spirit means coming before God, acknowledging our dependence upon the intercessory work of the Holy Spirit of God. It's praying in dependence upon the Holy Spirit who knows the mind of God. Everybody, listen to this. Of course, it's the Spirit of God who knows the will of God. And so we come and pray depending on the Spirit of God. See? Maybe a bigger question is do you pray? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. You don't even seem like you're in the mood for it tonight. So I'm not, going to, I'm not asking for a show of hands. But I think if we could take an honest poll around here, and we ask, I ask one simple question. In your Christian life as a believer, what spiritual exercise is the most difficult for you to maintain meaningfully and consistently? I would almost guarantee that most would answer, my prayer life. My prayer life. That's what I would do. That's what I would write. It takes more effort for me to maintain a consistent, meaningful, I'm not talking about going through prayers, I'm talking about meaningful communication with God. It takes more effort for me to maintain than that than it does my Bible reading. It takes more effort for me to do that than it does to study my Bible in preparation for a sermon. Nothing about the exercise of the Christian life requires more effort from my part. I'll speak for myself, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'm not speaking for some others as well, that one of the most difficult things to maintain consistently and meaningfully is communion with God in prayer. But I'm going to present this to you. And you think about it. I have. Uh, You feel free to think about it. Correct me later if I'm wrong. No love relationship. Now, what is the aim here? What's the goal? Keep yourselves in love with God. See, I need more than one right. Come on. The main aim is keep yourselves in love with God, right? Okay, now now think about this. You tell me what kind of love relationship, here's my deal. No love relationship thrives without meaningful communication. It just does not. People are, two people get married. I mean, I've, I've observed quite a bit in these 54 years trying to be a preacher. People get married. I'm standing here or there or wherever, and they're getting married. And I'm looking at them and I think, my soul, they're not going to make it. They need oxygen. They need oxygen. They're, they're so in love they can't even, they don't even hear what I'm saying. They're just staring at each other or talking. A lot of them talk their way through the whole s- ordeal anymore it seems like and so oh, they're just so in love and then 6 months later or a year later or 2 or 5 years later it's like he's gone that way and she's gone that way and they might seek counseling and they might even say the words seeking counseling or not it's like we don't even know each other anymore live in the same house eat at the same table sleep in the same bed and become strangers how does that happen no meaningful communication She does what she does, and he does what he does, and they are going two different directions. Well, I'm just not interested in what he's interested in. Well, I'm not interested in the network on television that sells all that stuff. You think I'm interested in watching that bunch of baloney? I not only don't care about watching it, I can't stand to hear all those people going, it just drives me nuts. And so she does that, and he does his thing, And they go this way and that way. And the next thing you know, they hardly know each other. What happened? They were so madly in love at one time. I guarantee if you could look at their phone time, when they were courting and before they got married, they spent a lot of time talking, knowing each other, understanding each other, or getting to. Yeah, or at least starting. And now the time is invested elsewhere. What happens when a when, when it happened like when our daughter, our oldest Cindy, daddy's girl, man, oh man, what happened at 13, 14, when I had to say to my wife, who is that kid in there? I don't even hardly know her anymore. Chip on her shoulder as big as Texas. Almost anything I'd say is. Oh. No, I can't live with that stuff. (laughs) No, no, that ain't going to work. And just, I'm telling you, what has happened? One day at a crisis time, I sat down with Cindy, and I said, Cindy, I I love you. You, You've been daddy. I love you, Dad. Won't look at me. I love you, Dad. Cindy, what are we doing? And she said, well, this and that. And I said, well, Cindy, it seems like you always, and I started saying, I made the mistake of saying you always, I said, it seems like you always and whatever it was. And she looked at me and says, that's not how I feel. That's not what I'm thinking, Dad. I'm not thinking that at all. But it seems like every time that you always, and she started telling me how she was reading me. And I put my arm around her and hugged her. I said, Cindy, that's not what I'm thinking. That's not where I'm going when I start talking to you or we start addressing an issue. And you know what we both realized? Here we are, dad and daughter, daddy's girl. Wasn't she a daddy's girl? Just precious. She's 52 years old, and she's still daddy's girl. In fact, her husband sometimes doesn't even like me because she does, you know. And so uh, the, the, I'm not, uh, and we just realize we don't even know each other. What do you have to do? Communicate. Well, I try to pray, but God seems so far, uh-oh, Careful careful where you're going to put the blame on this situation here. He's probably not the problem. God just seems so far away. But He won't talk to you. He'll talk to anybody that'll listen. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. God will speak to those that hear. And, and who is it that's hard to get a hold of? God? No, you can do that anywhere, anytime. Absolutely. But Jesus said, when you pray, then here's what He said to do. There needs to be these times, this is to have that intimate communion with the Lord. There needs to be the time when you enter into thy closet and shut the door. It just means a private place. Some of you are thinking, a closet? Yeah, same here. How am I going to get, I can't even get in my closet, you know. But it means to get that place alone where it's just you and God and commune with God. And bear your heart to Him and seek His face. And He is willing to speak to you. And it takes time. I said it takes time. And it takes time to shut things out. There's a reason. I, this has just eaten me up lately. I'm going to work up a sermon on Psalm 14 where it ends uh, towards the end with, Be still and know that I am God. And every once in a while you just got to shut your brain down and shout out all noise, and make sure your phone is nowhere around, and nobody else is going to be trying to talk to you. And you don't hear the phone ringing, and you are there to be still that, and know that He is God. I was thinking about this the other day in my prayer time and worship time, and I was thinking about be still. And I can remember, you know, traveling around all the time. I'm staying in hotels and outside these, uh, outside some of these hotel windows or interstate highways and you hear 24 hours a day, the cars running up and down the road, the sound of tires, the sound of traffic, the sound of sirens, the sound of horns honking, the sounds of motorcycles that are seeing how loud they can be and hot rod cars that are out street racing. And I can hear those big V8 engines and those glass pipes that I still would like to have. But anyway, you can hear them them out there and they're taken off and the roar of the engines and the diesel trucks and airplanes taken off and landings. Everybody listen to me here. And then televisions are on and almost all homes everywhere in America and the yak and the clatter and the, and the noise is everywhere. And my friend, I can't tell you how important it is to get alone and just be with God and be still. I found benefit in having a time where I'm not saying anything, I'm not asking for anything, and I'm not using words of worship, I'm just being still. And it dawned on me here just a while back, I was in my office and my wife wasn't home and the house was very quiet. It's not like it's noisy when she's there, I'm just saying I had no distractions whatsoever, couldn't hear anything and I just got it, it down there and then I got to thinking about the high and lofty nature of God and here I am in a little residential retirement community in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. This little speck on this earth. And the nations are as a drop of a bucket to Him. And I got real quiet. I'd been in the Word. I'd ask God, I, I, I need to, I want to draw near to You. And I just got quiet. In the midst of that, I said, oh, God, just like that. And I thought, the high and lofty one is here. He heard me. I'm not talking about some weird experience. I'm not. I'm just talking about doing what the Bible says. Be quiet. See if he'll make his presence known. He meant something when He said, be still and know that I am God. I think that those that want to know Him, He wants to be known. It ought to work. Try that. I'm not talking about that very thing. But you got to have that time with God. There are times Sandra and I will go along and we're just doing our thing, doing our thing. And then there are other times... We have to talk. And we don't always plan it. Sometimes it just happens where we have meaningful communication, meaningful talk, stuff that helps us understand each other. Because she keeps changing. (laughs) What's the deal here? And and the dynamics of marriage and life changes. The years pass by. Things change. It's got to be that time you talk, you commune. And If that's so in human relationship, what have you ever read that makes you think that's not necessary in your walk with God? You've got to spend time with Him. I don't know about praying in the Holy Ghost. How about we not even worry about that right now, although it's very simple. But we just answer the question, am I spending time with God? Can I shut everything down, everything else off, and stop and have time to be with my Heavenly Father? I'm going to submit, you can't know His presence and not love Him. And That's what this is about. You cannot know His presence and not love Him. You cannot commune with Him and not love Him. God is love. That's what the book says. God is love. You can't be with Him and walk away unaffected. You can't. To know his presence, to be with him, is to love him. What's he looking for from you? Love. What's he expecting from you? I tithe, I pay, I go, I do, I'm busy. What does he want? He wants you to love him. That's why he loves you, or he's set abroad his love in your heart to love Him. Beloved. Then He said, and I'm going to quit. I'm not even going to preach these. I'm just going to tell you what they are. And then He said, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. The song was totally appropriate tonight. Jesus will come again. He is coming back. And looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think I could develop it to prove it, but I'm not taking the time to do that tonight. But he is talking about the coming of Christ because when Jesus comes and takes us out of here, that is an act of mercy because he is taking us away from wrath and judgment that's coming up on this earth that we actually deserve but are not going to experience looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. Jesus is coming again. And if some have compassion, making a difference, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. What's that about, soul winning? There are people about you, and you don't talk to everybody the same way. I said, you don't talk to everybody the same way. I've sat down with people and with men. I remember sitting down with Steve B. I remember sitting down with Steve Eby. Steve was lost. His wife had come to know Christ. She was in love with the Lord and growing in the Lord. And i go to see him and he was mad at me and mad at her because she wouldn't go to the bars with him anymore and all of this kind of thing, you know, and the honky tonks. Yeah, and, and I can I remember saying to Steve, Steve, you can give your wife a hard time. You can make fun of me. You can do anything you want to. But I'm going to tell you right now, you die as you are and you're going to hell you scoff and you laugh and you make fun of people at church and you say it's a bunch of hypocrites and everything else. Well, if it's so easy to be a Christian, why don't you get saved and show us all how it's supposed to be done? And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you pass from this life, buddy, you may think you're tough and others may think you're tough, but you'll burn in hell. I'll guarantee you that. Well, long after that, Steve got saved. He really got saved. <laughs> <laughs> No, he did. He got saved. Wonderful. Of some have compassion. Then there's other people like Leroy. Leroy's a gentleman, an absolute gentleman, a quiet, meek, and humble guy. A gentleman. I wouldn't look at Leroy and say, tell you something right now, Leroy, you're gonna burn in hell. I wouldn't tell him that. That's not what Leroy needed to hear. Leroy needed to hear this. You know, Leroy? Even good people have to get saved. There's none good, no, not one. I know, but you know that story of that Cornelius guy? You know that Peter went to see? He was a good man. That's not my judgment. That's what the book says. And he prayed to God and he gave alms and he did a lot of good things. But Peter told him, Cornelius, even good men like you have to get saved. And So you make a difference. The question is there again. Do we care enough to even be trying to reach a lost sinner? Somebody that's without Christ. That's not my thing. Other people, whose thing do you think that ought to be? Where did you get, where did you see in the scripture that I'm exempt from involvement in bringing sinners to Jesus? You haven't found that anywhere in the word of God. And it's a part of keeping yourself in love with God. Loving people he loves is a part of keeping yourself in love with God dearly beloved. Father, I, I do want to respect the time and there is so much more obviously as there always is that could be said. I preach you'd help us to look at ourselves on this last night of this meeting, Lord, and, and, and be honest with ourselves about how am I doing, where am I in this matter of keeping myself in love with god if i don't keep myself in love with god it's not my husband's fault it's not my wife's fault if we're not keeping ourselves in love with god it's not the preacher's fault it's not the fault of anybody at church beloved keep yourselves in the love of god keep yourselves Purposely exercise in the Word. Spend time in communion and prayer. Expect Jesus to come. He's coming. I will come again and receive you unto myself. He just didn't say when. And help us to care about those about us. There's somebody, there's, well, there there are people we meet every day who are one heartbeat from an eternity under the condemnation of their own sin in hell. And they need someone who will care for their soul. That will have compassion. Now help us to look at ourselves and then answer the question. Am I doing and being what I'm supposed to do and be to keep myself in love with God? There's no way we can overstate the importance of the matter of what is called the first and great commandment of keeping myself in love with God. Nobody else can do this for me and nobody else can keep me from it. It is my responsibility to keep myself in love with god bless this invitation if somebody is here which is entirely possible that's never in their life been saved they've never called upon jesus for the forgiveness of sin they've never embraced the truth of the gospel and they need to be saved may they deal with that tonight in jesus name amen let's stand together shall we we're going to have a time of invitation if the spirit of god's dealt with your heart why don't you Do what he would have you to do right now as the music begins.
0: She plays another verse. We're not in a hurry. This is the most important thing that's going on in town tonight. That God would work in your heart. Go ahead and play one more verse. and I don't want to be in a hurry. I, I, want, I want you to have the time you need to pray. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you were blessed by the message. If, if you weren't, I'll just say it this way, then your blessers broke. Amen. I heard a preacher say that a long time ago. I, I appreciate that message. I have appreciated every single message that uh, that Brother Sam has brought this week. And uh, boy, Brother, I certainly appreciate the, just the time we've had to fellowship. appreciate the messages and uh, what a blessing. Uh, Take a moment to make sure you stop back. He's got a table back there with um, music CDs from uh, Heartland and then the Amen Quartet, and and if you want good Christian, you need good Christian music in your home. You need it, Uh, and that's one of the places you can get it, and so stop back there, get one of those CDs. Uh, He'll be back there after church, and then um, if we can have the young men Uh, of our church help us, we want to get the table and chairs all picked up from the uh, fellowship hall. So if you have, if you can help us with that, uh, we would certainly appreciate the help with that right after church, right, right. we're going to dismiss, and and if you can help with that, that'd be great. All right.